Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Roll for Enterprise. This week, I want to talk about a couple of news items. Uh, Slack is in the news once again, and they're accusing Microsoft of some dodgy tactics of crushing the competition by bundling teams together with uh, the Office 365 subscription. And of course, it's not the first time that Microsoft has been in trouble. Those of us with uh, longer memories and grayer hair will remember Microsoft in the 90s got in a lot of trouble for bundling Internet Explorer with the operating system back when it was kind of controversial that an operating system would include a browser. These days, of course, all of the operating systems have browsers and uh, Internet Explorer is a footnote in the browser history. These days, in fact, Microsoft's browser uses Google Chrome Engine inside. The Microsoft Edge is actually a Chromium browser. So that's an interesting footnote to that history. And Edge is really nice if you download the the newer version. I think uh, they've made a lot of improvements there, right? I've heard that. I've heard that. I'm a Safari diehard. I run two versions of Safari, but uh, I do hear that Edge is pretty good. So what do we think? Is this going to have any ultimate outcome? The browser wars back in the 90s, by the time they were settled, they were history. Netscape was gone. And it left us Firefox, okay, but uh, effectively it was already dead. Is this going to be the same story with Slack? That would make me sad. I like Slack. I think it's a bit far. I mean, it's a bit far-fetched. I mean, Teams is part of the productivity tool set. And, and I mean, if you look at Word, Excel, PowerPoint, right, the the big behemoths in, in Office, I, I, I think Teams fits right in there, right? Uh, and I think if you look at the roadmap of, of Skype and um, what was the, the, the other uh, messenger link and everything, it, it's all coming together into Teams, right? So it's kind of SharePoint Online and, and everything um, coming together into Teams. And it, it can sit on the on the outside or it could sit on the inside and, and however you look at it. I, I think the real challenge Slack is having is, look, they don't have the, the real competing tool set, right? They've gone, they've gone really um, kind of hardcore into one product. Uh, and, and now you find yourself competing with a behemoth. And I don't think uh, it's about quality anymore, but it's about uh, time to release uh, new, let's say, features in these products. And I think Microsoft is, is just, you know, they're showing their, their might here. So I think their past history hurts them, Microsoft, which, um, you know, is going to be a challenge to them. But I I actually, I, I don't see it as a problem. And I think this is, um, you know, your historical Microsoft customers will just lean teams. And then it's uh, really kind of the startup, edgy kind of, I'm using Google, then they'll use Slack. You know, it's it, it's kind of in, in that realm to me. So I, I don't know how much of a problem it is. I think it's more of a problem to Slack's... Uh, speed and, and vertical uh, kind of integration than anything else. I agree. I think it's, I think it's the foresight or lack of uh, for Slack. I think they need to, we talked about this uh, a few episodes ago, didn't we? Where, you know, they just uh, right now they don't have the full suite of, of solutions for, for remote workers. And um, I do think AWS though announced several weeks ago that they are now using Slack internally, but yeah, I agree. I think it's just uh, Slack is a one trick pony right now. And now that they're publicly traded, they have to figure out what to do. And, you know, I, I don't think this is really anything Microsoft, in my opinion, you know, is, is doing wrong here. You, you know, if they were looking at an IPO today, I think it would be really hard for them to, to IPO given kind of uh, their position. But I think when they did, they were in the dominant position. But slowly, slowly, you see, you see teams um, kind of eating away at that at that dominant position. Yeah, you have to keep innovating. That's exactly right. And what Satya has done is, you know, innovation, uh, he's filled that with, um, uh, you know, just acquiring companies and he's done a great job of that. And so Slack has to figure out what they're going to do here to make their next move. 
and I have to innovate. And uh, you're right. This was you know, great three, four years ago, but uh, right now it's it's almost commodity, right? Yeah, and I, I think there, there's a barrier. Uh, there's a barrier piece to this that I think a lot of people don't realize, right? I, I think companies that are using Office and have used Skype, it's natural progression to move to Teams. The real problem is some of these people making these decisions have never used Slack. They've never gone to Slack. And, you know, although it probably is a superior product today, I think because they've never had that taste and it's just a natural progression to Teams, they'll never go to Slack. They'll always be like, oh, yeah, Teams is doing it great. So I, I think a lot of people that say, you know, Teams is great have not really used Slack all that much. See, I'm not convinced. I think there's room in the world for all of these. On the one hand, suites grow and expand and add capabilities uh, so the bit of the Amazon Slack relationship that I find more interesting is that Slack now embeds Amazon Chime for voice calling. Amazon Chime is a decent piece of software that never got any uptake outside of Amazon. And now I've had to use it as an Amazon partner in the past. Uh, it's perfectly usable. And as soon as I'm done talking to Amazon people, I quit it and never look at it again until the next time it's time to talk to Amazon again. But that's kind of uh, Slack extending its own reach. They add that capability. You can extend it to merge it with Google. Google Docs, Google's Office Suite, and that will get you to kind of the same place that a Microsoft Teams user is in terms of the integration with the various bits and pieces of Office. So you have the integration with Docs and uh, the spreadsheets and uh, the, the slides. And with Google Drive, uh, you've got the storage piece, which aims to be a lightweight version of what SharePoint is. On the one hand, I see Slack's point. On the other hand, I also see Microsoft's point. And Google is trying to do the same thing from their end. They're trying to embed Meet into every Google Calendar invite. They're doing all of these things. And this is a wider topic also of antitrust in the industry. We talked a few episodes back about Hey and their complaints about the Apple App Store and the cuts that they take. Again, we could see both sides of that one. So the App Store definitely does provide a service in the sense that I'm much happier to have my credit card on file with Apple and click buy and go through facial recognition and spend a couple of bucks on an app that I've never heard of before than I would be if I had to sign up and leave my credit card on a random website every time I wanted to try an app. There's value in these extended suites in adding functionality into one place. But on the other hand, yeah, there is also a chilling effect on the market. So double-edged sword, definitely. I, I think the other problem is Microsoft's so big here that it just it's just like a vacuum, right? It makes it impossible for the others to to gain traction, right? Because if if Teams was first to to market, I, I think Slack would have never had the breathing room to to, to make it out. I think then it gets incredibly uh, harder. So uh, there's that piece of it too. And I, I think what's gearing up here, what we're gearing up to see, I think, is like an email war. Uh, I think you can totally tell that Slack will will one day have an email client or or some sort of, of, of email available. And I, I think that's coming, right? Because the whole premise of Slack was to reduce uh, people's email, right? That's Zavinsky's law. Every piece of software grows until it can handle email. Yeah. And Jamie Zavinsky, of course, was an original Netscape programmer. So it comes full circle. <laughs> comes full circle, yeah. I, I think it, there, there's a bigger theme here and it'll it'll play out over the next uh, next couple of years, I have a feeling. Definitely. The thing with Slack and Microsoft, and then we'll move on, but as we were just saying before this call, being in multiple Slacks is completely painless. They're just you know, tabs and you can switch from one to the other and you can see when one of them is active. Being in multiple teams is a complete pain in the neck. Teams is designed to be for one enterprise. And there is the new feature, whatever they call it, where you can enable people from another enterprise to join your corporate team with their own user accounts. 
but it's a huge thing and it has to go through central IT. It's very controlled, which is the goal. The buyer of Teams is enterprise IT. It's the SharePoint buyer. It's a person who's uh, comfortable with Microsoft and wants to get further benefit from past investments in Microsoft. Whereas Slack, uh, through its free tier, it gets a lot of bottom-up adoption. So it's a classic bottom-up. People start using a tool that's free and like it and then persuade their employers to pay for it versus top down, someone goes to the big cheese and persuades them to mandate the adoption of a tool. So it'll be fascinating to watch this play out. And that's a topic that I think we'll return to later as we want to have a discussion about cloud computing and the models that enables. But we just wanted to revisit another past story as well that's also back in the news with ARM and SoftBank. It's also still on the topic of antitrust in a way because NVIDIA supposedly approached SoftBank with an interest in acquiring ARM. And that has some pretty obvious antitrust overtones, NVIDIA being the biggest GPU maker and wanting to buy the biggest CPU maker. That's obviously going to be subject to some (laughs) attention. But the other piece of news relating to ARM was Intel earlier today announced uh, that they were going to miss their goals for the 7 nanometer process by at least 12 months. So the people at Apple who made that call to switch to Apple Silicon must be feeling pretty smug right now, uh, pretty justified in that decision. Did you see those stories? Any thoughts? I feel bad for Intel because I think here Intel's losing losing their their dominance in in, in chips, right? I think uh, if you look at uh, Nvidia, uh, their acquisition last year of who was it, Mellanox, and and now they're starting to look at ARM. I, I think they're becoming the de facto like, hey, these are the guys you go to if you need silicon. And I, I think Nvidia is really, from a design perspective, kind of pushing the envelope and really has that game plan of of the future, right? If you're doing anything AI, typically companies are rushing to NVIDIA, um, where Intel continues to see delays, continues to kind of misfire. And yeah, even their earnings this this week were were quite disappointing. So I, I think uh, this is like a, you know, it's 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 passing the torch to to the new um, the new leader in the space, and I, and I think maybe Apple here, you know, sees it happening and and decides, hey, we're gonna because I think Apple will be uh, will have a pretty impressive uh, chip division. Quite, you know, it, it's already here, right? Uh, based around ARM. I, I, not to the, to play of words here, but they all, it's all a battle being an arms dealer for the cloud. I mean, look what's happened over COVID. Look at the earnings coming out of these cloud providers. Uh, you know, that's where the growth is. And um, you know, and by the way, Nvidia's got their own battles. You got, you know, when you speak about, you talk to AI, and you talk to, you know, talk about Google. You have TPUs, which are a lot cheaper than GPUs because GPUs are, you know, multi-purposed. Uh, you know, they're for the home and can, as well as you know AI initiatives. So I think you know they're all battling to be the arms dealer to these cloud providers who have tremendous growth right now, and they haven't even tapped into the potential that they can tap into. I think that's really where the gold is here. And if you look at the acquisitions and and what's going on, I mean, that's uh, that's clear to me. And that's the saving grace for Intel because they still have the server chip market, the Xeons which are still extremely powerful, extremely high quality chips and very profitable for Intel. And right now, ARM is not yet suitable. There isn't yet an ARM design that's suitable in that role. But as more people start designing on ARM, as Apple designs, let's say, potentially a new Mac Pro that runs on however many ARM cores they wedge into that thing, that will start to drive that market too. Another one that's going to be interesting to watch with disruption all the way up and down. I mean, Intel must still be kicking themselves at a corporate level for missing the iPhone wave. And they went to 
the line that was profitable at the time over the line that had the potential to be profitable in the future. And that's classic disruption uh, that's now playing out in its later stages where they retreat to the most profitable of their existing lines and sacrifice uh, some of the bottom end. That whole mobile compute, the second they miss that, I think it's um, it's a multiple year decline. And I, I think we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the brunt of that now, right? But I think it happened years and years ago, correct? I think it happens to a lot of these large vendors. You're right, exactly. It happened years ago. I think there's other vendors. You look at some of these big monolithic, you know, companies uh, with large market caps that also have missed this pivot. And um, I think, what is it that John Chambers uh, has, has said? Uh, 50% of, or maybe it was more Fortune 500 companies, uh, you know, won't won't be around. And I think, what was it? Uh, what was that quote, <laughs> Dominic, uh, the next next number of years? I'll have to find that. But yeah, it was uh, some shockingly short number of years, 50% of the Fortune 500 will be gone. And uh, that's an ongoing trend. The tenure in the Fortune 500 has been getting shorter and shorter over time. And tech accelerates that. You can't miss a pivot in tech. You can't miss something that big if you're either that big and you have all your eggs or most of your eggs in that basket. And that's this is a result of that. This is a result. I, I think sometimes too focused on Wall Street, not on the long term uh, vision. And I and I think that's why some companies yeah continue to last longer than others. So that's a perfect pivot to the main topic for today's episode. I'll bridge that with a, a story from my own past. Uh, names lightly obscured, but you can probably work out the details. So a few years ago, I was working for a company that had an on-premise software product that uh, you would buy and then you would pay 20% annual maintenance or what have you. It completely dominated its segment, but people were starting to ask, can I have this uh, as a service and can I pay consumption-based monthly pay-as-you-go? And the company was not set up for that, in part because that sort of pivot uh, means that by definition for a period of 12 months, your results are going to look worse to Wall Street. And so the CFO couldn't figure out how to square that circle. And the company did not move to to a SaaS model. And an upstart came up that was SaaS native, never had that background, that legacy weighing on it of having to satisfy those expectations based on the longer term revenue cycles. And they ended up eating my erstwhile employer's lunch and are now a far bigger company as a result. And that's kind of the, the the example of that, someone who missed a pivot. And the cloud is one of the biggest pivots there's been for a long time, especially because it's not one moment, it's not one pivot, it's an ongoing pivot. So the first movement was starting to offer just basic infrastructure, a virtual server in the cloud. And people scoffed and they said, how's this different from Colo? And the people who got it quietly got on with it. And the people who scoffed got left behind. And then things moved up the stack and uh, we started talking about no longer getting a bare VM, but getting a platform, a platform as a service. And again, people said, oh, why would you want to do that? Do you want control? Do you want to know all the bits and pieces? Uh, You want to select this, that, and the other. And these days, it's pretty much a given that if you want to build something, you're not going to do what we used to call the LAMP stack, uh, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP or Perl or whichever P you ended up choosing, you're going to go and get a whole bunch of services and weld them together with the REST APIs and things like that. So this changes dramatically both the revenue model, as we said, all of these things are pay-as-you-go, maybe monthly at best, but often pure consumption-based. There's no question of buying a multi-year license and paying maintenance on top of that. 
And so this really, really changes the environment, both for buyers uh, and for sellers. So I'd like to hear first from Mike, your perspective on how this has changed your world as a buyer. And then I think based on our previous conversations, Zach and I might have some uh, clarifying lights to shed and what the vendor side of that looks like. Yeah, well, I, I think first and foremost, everything's moved to, it's a subscription model. Like everything is subscription, right? I can turn it off. I could turn it, you know, I could turn it on, turn it off at will. So I, I think it makes it easier as you uh, start to build your economies of scale, or if your business is doing better, worse, you, you, you can like up ramp or down ramp and um, it, it kind of makes it easier. The fact that the matter is that true, is that not, it, it all depends, right? But I, I think what, what's happening is with everything becoming a service is now you see kind of the, the evolution of cloud, right? Because like people who want to purchase apps in, in the org or who want to develop an app, you know, who do they go see first? They go see the sysadmins. And I, I think the problem with going and see the sysadmins is they're still stuck in kind of a, a traditional uh, kind of model where they talk about, you know, okay, how much compute, how much memory, and, and so on and so forth. This Instead, when you start to look at really cloud, it becomes like, hey, maybe you need this service and you don't really need to think of it in terms of hardware as you used to. And I think that shift has become uh, much harder for people uh, as we've gone through that that step. So when I start to look at it and start to think of like, okay, how do you take the real value out of cloud? I think the conversation and who's having the conversations, the interaction points are all starting to change one way or another. The cloud is uh, enabling much more of a bottom-up play, as we were saying at the beginning of the show, um, because it's such a low barrier to entry that someone can start using something for free or with a very low spend that potentially they put on their corporate credit card. And that embeds the software, starts to embed the practice. And then a few years later, when it's time to make a more strategic decision, you already have that experience and that de-risks making the choice to go with uh, with that cloud option over anything else. Yeah, really a ground-up approach. Um, you know, um, it, it starts from the bottom and kind of works its way to the top, where it used to be kind of top-bottom. I mean, it still happens top-bottom, but I think there's... Um, I think a lot of the incumbents have um, a lot more opportunity in the in the cloud world uh, because of that. There's a, there's a lot more room for disruption, I would say. And the buyers are changing. You just touched on it, Mike. Uh, we have a different set of buyers in the cloud, and these buyers are in the business. These buyers aren't your traditional, like you said, you know, compute guys that are sitting there, the storage guys that are trying to figure out, you know, how much storage you need, what what kind of arrays they might need to acquire, and so it's it's changing. And um, I think we need to adjust to that. So, how do you feel about that change, Mike? Because uh... Surely this is disintermediating you at least somewhat. Uh, you have some decisions that's kind of already made for you, at least influenced for you before you get engaged. Yeah, and I, I think that's always going to happen, right? It, it, it's always happened. I think what becomes a little uh, harder on us is um, the privacy security aspect, uh, depending what you're doing and validating what's coming into our environment, right? Because, I, I mean, look, this day and age, it's all about speed, which means we need to get quicker. The, the real problem I see is there's there's a bit of a skills gap, right? I mean, you have kind of, um, you know, your traditional sysadmin, your traditional data center um, teams, your traditional network teams. And I don't know, like I, I find some of them are hard to adapt to kind of uh, cloud thinking. So there is a definite skills gap 
and an upskilling that needs to happen in these organizations. And it ain't so easy. So a lot of us and a lot of companies are relying on, yeah, let's say middlemen to help walk us uh, through these. And, you know, even if you look at Microsoft or Amazon, they're ready to give away quite a bit of, you know, training, technical expertise, like, hey, let me hold your hand and help you here. And, um, you know, I, I get the feeling sometimes that they're just emulating drug dealers, right? It's like, hey, we'll give you the first hit. And after this, you're, you're going to pay. You know, is it going to be more efficient, like cost-wise, uh, three, four years down the line? Yeah, that remains to be seen. But I think, yeah, the biggest challenge for us is kind of the the, the skills gap that it's creating from uh, the traditional roles we're used to seeing to the skills you now need to kind of move forward in this in this new world. So that's interesting. So one of the trends that, that I've seen is to re-insourcing. Companies that had their IT operations substantially outsourced are taking this move to the cloud as an opportunity to move many things back in-house. And the reason that people give for doing this is that when the operations were outsourced, any improvement in those operations went to the outsourcer's bottom line. So they could either take, you know, the people who learned the tech and got better at it and more expert. So they could use that to deliver more efficiently on the same commitment, or they could move those more experienced resources off your projects and onto something more profitable for the outsourcer and leave you always at that constant level of junior and experienced people. Whereas if you are running those things yourself, you can take those learnings and apply them to your own bottom line instead. Uh, and so there's enough of that going on that not just me personally, but some analysts I talk to have been seeing this as a trend. Is that something you see as well? Or do you think there's something else going on? Absolutely, absolutely. And the thing is, like, you might have a relationship with one partner, right? One partner who's been doing some um, pretty, uh, let's say, uh, traditional, let's say, data center co-location type, you know, um, utility-based. Hands and eyes. Yeah, yeah. And, and what ends up happening is, like, you know, they're not innovating or not bringing you forward. So what happens is, you know, a discussion on cloud happens. And then a lot of these providers start to build wrapper services around these cloud offerings. And, you know, you, you got to ask yourself, okay, why do I have a wrapper service? It's it's pretty inefficient because you can be the direct partner and then uh, control more of it instead of taking, instead of paying this like overhead that you really don't need. But I think it becomes a, a little difficult at times uh, for companies to see that. But you're you're absolutely right, Dominic, and I, I, I completely agree. And I, I think there it comes to, you know, there's a lot of, now you have one provider who's a wrapper around another provider, and this other provider is trying to come in and build a relationship. So so the, the traditional cloud player, and I think their go-to market on the cloud is is totally different. I think at the end of the day, like if you look at the the AWS, I think they're 33% of the market. Microsoft is, I think, 13 or 18. Like Microsoft's going to continue to grow because the relationship, like what we spoke about before around Office, around Windows is there. And that will continue to grow into Azure where they come to you with a traditional kind of account management approach where I think with AWS and some of the other players, it's more like of a credit card transaction, but it's, it's starting to change, right? So I, I think... The cloud providers need to change how they come to the the enterprise companies, and that hasn't happened fully. And I think a lot of companies are struggling at making the transformation into into the new world. So, like if I look at cloud, I think 
there is a tremendous opportunity for growth in, in some of these companies. So the, the old world would be that the account manager would come in with their shiny suit and their shiny presentation, and they would talk to the, the CIO, the VP of IT, someone towards the top of the org chart. And then that person, if they were persuaded, would mandate, okay, this is what we're going to use now. This is what we're going to do now for the next five years. We're, we're locked in. Uh, these days, by the time the salesperson gets involved, it's already much further down the road. Someone inside the org has probably used the tech, either using a free evaluation version or a low-cost credit card level evaluation. So that conversation is very different. Some people say there's now no role for the account manager. I say there's a role for the good account managers that can shepherd that process through the paper process. So they can help give you as a buyer some visibility. Here's the sort of cost you can expect. Here's how we can structure it to match your fiscal year and your preferences in that way. Some corporations prefer to have a discount. Some prefer to pay a minimum and then have overages. There are all sorts of different models. Good account managers, among other things, will help to structure that sort of setup so that everyone uh, is happy and takes out as much friction as possible. Well, well, in that world, they're they're really business account managers, right? They're going to understand the business. I think that's different. I I agree with that uh, to to some extent. I think... uh, I don't think we're going to need the account managers in the roles and that we see traditionally today in these technology companies, you know, that come in there and, you know, used to be, you know, how this was Mike, especially five, 10 years ago, they come out and they want to, you know, boondoggles and take you here and do that and, and try to sell you through. Hate, you it. Know. hate it, hate it, hate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, when Mike released the hounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to get, yeah. So Mike, I mean, how, how are you being approached by these cloud providers? You kind of touched on it with Microsoft being a little bit different, but uh, AWS and, and if Google's, I'm sure they're knocking on your door too. I mean, how is that? What do you see from that? So not so much on on my side, but what I hear from friends in other industries is it's really more of an education uh, that starts to happen, right? Uh, It's like, hey, um, you know, let's talk about what we're doing and uh, not so much of a sale, right? So it's more of... um, of education, I would say that's happening, you know, um, but, and I think there's, you know, I, I want to say some companies have a bit of a fear of missing out here. So they'll listen to everybody and, and maybe dip their toes into everybody, right. Into, into everybody's cloud. Uh, certainly because of that, yeah, fear of missing out, I want to say, but you know, from, from what you guys see, I mean, you know, we say software eats the world. So is cloud eating the world now because everybody's running there? But what is what is cloud changing on, yeah, like service providers that I tip, typically would deal with or, you know, account managers, service revenue? Where, where, where's it all? Where's it all going? I mean, what's the what's the cloud like? What's it going to change fundamentally in the way where where, you know, the vendors are operating today? So I think it's easy to miss the changes of cloud when you look at it from sort of where the three of us sits from the traditional enterprise business, because in those worlds, it changes to a certain extent. Uh, like we said, you can have these very extended trials. So the sales conversation is starting much earlier, uh, long before anyone with sales in their title is ever involved. But ultimately, there's still a lot of the same motions taking place. What the cloud really changes is the democratization So that long tail that wasn't profitable for enterprise vendors to serve because it takes a certain level of spend to justify the shiny suits and the steak dinners and the rounds of golf, that becomes possible to serve with the same level of technology, the same level of supports that the very biggest companies can get, but they're only spending 50 or 100 bucks instead of uh, hundreds of thousands or millions. So I think that's the, the biggest change. And it's accommodating that 
self-service. The accounts will walk themselves in through the front door with the credit card. And most importantly, the transition point to the small and medium business, the ones that perhaps aren't fully enterprise, but they need a little bit more support. And I think from my perspective, that's where the Googles and the Amazons can sometimes lose out because there you're either a named account and you get wined and dined or you're everyone else and you can never speak to a human for any reason whatsoever. And I think the remaining gap in the market is there in the middle. And that's where some of the smarter partners and outsourcers and systems integrators are playing, uh, is walking people through what can be a maze of options if you don't know exactly what you're doing. What do you think? These are two different worlds. I think these are two different worlds. When you talk about channel partners, uh, traditional channel partners that are technology partners, you, you just see a, a completely different set of partners. I mean, go to AWS, check out their partners. I mean, look at Google, look at their partners. They're just vastly different. I think they're, you know, we talk about Intel and you know, might might have missed a pivot. I mean, there are some large, large channel partners here that uh, absolutely have missed a pivot. It's a different. Uh, it's a different go to market. You're not selling hardware. You're not trying to just push paper. You're not calling up these partners to buy, you know, a lot of this, uh, you know, these switches or whatever it might be. It's it's all it's professional service driven. It's value add driven to these cloud providers. You know, it's architecture based. And a lot of these companies right now that are trying to deploy this technology, they're, they're struggling. I mean, they're looking for, and Mike, I'd like your thoughts on this in a minute, but they're looking for these guys that are certified practitioners that can help, uh, you know, deploy these these solutions. And so, I think when I think of the channel, I think it's vastly, vastly different. There are some publicly traded, very large channel partners today that I think are, are in for a little bit of a, in for trouble, a world of hurt. Um, I don't know that they can pivot as quickly. That's the skills gap, right? Because I think the channel partners have developed the skills. So that's why we call on them. That's why. But and it's hard for them to and some of them, it's hard for them to pivot from old to new because the revenue is all in, in the way they used to do business. And you know, how are you going to build this new revenue stream? It's, and, and this is where they get caught up, right? Because they're, they're public and they need to, they need to play to the markets and then they never make, make the jump and, and that's it. They're done. But I, I mean, if I, if I look at it, Zach, I mean, isn't the, I mean, if you think of the channel, isn't it, it's just, it's just a skills gap, right? I mean, you don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big, um, you know, I, I don't know that you need the channel. And I think the fear from, from some of the smaller accounts that like go, into the cloud and never have somebody to talk to is what if something goes wrong? Who do I call then? You have no idea the restraint I'm having to apply to stop from breaking into the Ghostbusters theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, sk skills is a big part of it, Mike. I, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, and these cloud providers, they, they have their own challenges. They're trying to bring people in and bring them up to speed and, and they're on a hiring frenzy themselves. And so that what a great problem to have. Hey, we can't deploy our solution because we don't have enough people that understand it. So let's bring more people, you know, you know, get them up to speed. Um, but no, I think there's some other value. I mean, I think, you know, um, there's some services in the cloud, right, that, that some of these people can uh, develop and have their own solutions. And we forget about that. And I don't know that they're channel partners, but you know, a lot of companies are born out of the cloud, right? We can talk about, you know, several um companies that were born out of the cloud, but, you know, from a channel partner perspective, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of that is probably the architecture gap, the skills gap. Everybody wants a piece of the action, right? But I don't know, I don't know how many are really delivering value or able to deliver value in, in the, the transformation that's taking place. And I think that's where I think for some of these companies, it's going to become existential, some of these uh, providers, channel partners and, and whatever. And I think that's where, um, you know, the battle's going to be, you know, won or lost for some of them. 
I think it's a whole new generation of of you know talent that's coming into these these cloud roles. It's interesting. I, I don't know about you, Dominic. I'd be curious to see what you say. But you know, when I talk to a lot of people in the industry, or you know, my peers, let's say traditional, you know, networking people, or traditional storage people, or server, you know, people, it's all talk. Everybody talks. They want to do this. They want to do this. But nobody's really gone out and understood it or grabbed the certification, so they know just enough to log on to the console and do a few things. And I think that's interesting to me. I think you know, we could see a you know, <laughs> it, it could be a massive uh, shift. And we're going to have a lot of people potentially in the next three to five years sitting at maybe less than that, actually, probably two years sitting around, scratching their head, saying, oh, wait a minute, I, I need to need to look for a job. And, you know, this is kind of like the uh, the AS400 thing, Mike, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I'm looking for a job. And there's several out there, just not as many. So I, I think there's, you know, we keep talking about AI displacing people, perhaps cloud. I believe cloud is eating the world or will eat the world, as well as, you know, it's not necessarily AI. It's it's cloud that is going to displace a lot of these people. Let's just be honest. And they're careful not to say that AWS. US and these cloud providers are very careful not to say that, but let's be honest, they are they are displacing you. They're, they're, you're absolutely right because there's an abstraction layer that's being put in place that is making a lot of people um, unnecessary because of, their job is happening automatically in the cloud. If I can, yeah, if you can read between the lines there. Yeah, there's the ancient uh, joke: "Go away, or we'll replace you with a very small shell script." <laughs> and so the cloud is kind of taking that to the next level. <laughs> I will say I started out my enterprise sales career uh, selling automation, explicitly automation tooling. And the business case was about FTE reduction. So FTE, for those who are not versed in the lingo, is a full-time equivalent, a full-time employee, uh, someone who's spending uh, roughly eight hours a day, a couple of hundred days a year, give or take, on a certain task. So you break down a task into how many FTEs does it take. If you run a task uh, once a week and it takes... uh, a couple of hours, that's a certain fraction of an FTE. Then the next task, you run it every day and it takes another couple of hours and you add it up. And so right now you have a certain cost in FTEs for business as usual. And then if you automate those, you can save the cost of their salaries from your business. Now, the reason I'm able to sleep at night is that these people in the accounts I spoke to were almost never fired. And partly that was because I'm I'm operating in Europe and so there are all sorts of labor protection laws. But mostly it's because companies, in my experience, have huge unmet demand for things that they could do with IT if only they had the time for it. And some of it's stuff that, oh, we should be doing it, so the IT equivalent of flossing. We should be doing more regular security audits and assets uh, audits and whatever. But there's also a whole ton of stuff We'd love to build a service or an app to do X. We just don't have the time for it in the day. Oh, we just freed up a whole bunch of people and they already work here. They already know our processes and our systems and everything. Now we can do that thing we always wanted to do. It's become a game of speed. It's become a game of speed. And I think, you know, companies that are, um, you know, using excuses like, oh, we don't have the time to do this. You don't, we don't have the time to do that. I, I think they're going to lose out in, in the long run. And, and, and that's the sad part because I think it, it is about speed um, and they need to move fast. And I don't think you can use that as, as an excuse anymore. So that, that is the factor there. But Mike, who is they? It's typically the business. And so I, I hear what you're saying, Dominic, but then I wonder, you know, 
it goes back to the skills. I mean, what kind of people do they need? Who are they looking for? I mean, these traditional IT people are going to be the ones that they, they run to? I, I don't know. We've talked a bunch of times about how, how IT is changing, how IT is the business. And I think that's that's why the business is starting to, to hire people who are multifaceted and our IT people in, in general, in, in marketing roles and sales roles and in, in all sorts of you know analyst roles in, in, in the business. So they're starting to be able to um, to make their own mark and, and start to... Uh, to leverage cloud or leverage uh, whatever software is out there themselves. Well, I suspect we'll be coming back to this one again because we seem to keep circling back to these same topics, IT business alignment, everything old is new again. But uh, it's always good to talk to the two of you, get your perspectives. I look forward to catching up again next Friday. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. (laughs) 